Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 4. So we'll be in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Hebrews 11, Genesis chapter 4. If you're visiting Christ Church today, uh, my name is Mark, and I have the privilege of being one of the preachers here uh, at the church, and I'm glad you've joined us in a sermon series that we're looking through, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, which talks about what is faith. And it's going to give us characters from the history of the world that have demonstrated faith, found in our scriptures. And I want to be clear as we begin this that we're not going to do a superhero series where we're talking about people that are so dynamic and so gifted and so above us that we can only aspire to one day be close to them. Now, I'm actually going to talk to you about everyday people that are sinners, who are found in Scripture, who are imperfect, who learn to live by faith, and what does faith look like? And that's what we're going to be studying as we look at this uh, particular series. If you were with us here last week, we opened the series by defining faith as making a present substance out of a future reality. It's living in the truth that God is good and that he keeps his promises. And living in those two truths, that even when life is hard, we remember that God is good and he keeps his promises. It allows us to live differently, it allows us to live effectively, and it also allows us to live above and beyond our own control. That we can trust that God will do exactly what he said he will do. And today we're going to look at one of the first characters mentioned. It's found in verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. Now there's repetition in this particular verse. One verse, three sentences, and the repeated words over and over is by faith, by faith, by faith. You remember, it's, it's, without faith, it is impossible to please God, Hebrews eleven six. So by faith, by faith. Now here's what I want to clarify, because I know you're intelligent folks, but let's just have a discussion through this. It doesn't say by Cain, or by his sacrifices, or by his gifting. No, it says by faith, by faith, by faith. What Abel did was live out the truth that God is good and he can be trusted in every area of his life. And because of that, he was rewarded as being faithful. God doesn't call us to be successful or powerful or prominent. He only calls us to be faithful. And so faith is what led Abel to be someone that God inspired the author of Hebrews to bring to us this truth. And his faith still speaks. That's one of the most amazing parts of this particular verse. So I have to ask you a question. How does a man who lived thousands of years before us in a more primitive day and age on the earth, how does he have anything to say to someone who lives in our world today in 2015? Where we can put a spacecraft in the air and for nine years it travels to Pluto and takes a picture. What does a man in the primitive time of of mankind say to us in 2015? Well, one uh, scholar, I wouldn't have discovered this myself, but he presented a compelling argument. He said, Abel may be the first person to ever demonstrate faith. He may actually be the father of real faith. And I hadn't thought much about that. You see, Adam and Eve didn't have to live by faith because if you're going to make a present substance out of a future reality and the future reality is in front of you, you don't have to have faith. 
So Adam and Eve in the garden didn't have to display any faith because God was with them. It was the age of Cain and Abel when they were expelled out of the garden because of their sin that faith had to be present for that relationship. And so God said, I'm going to expel you from my garden, but I'm going to be with you. It's just going to be different, and you're going to have to trust that in this difference, I'm going to redeem everything you've broken. Abel may be the first person to ever demonstrate faith. So what I want to do is talk to you about a faith that worships. And as we build this model going forward, you're going to see the pieces snap together. A faith that worships God. A faith that will worship in its present reality based on a future promise. And I want to show you three things very simply about this story. I'm going to assume you know nothing about the story of Cain and Abel. And even if you do, uh, just go along. Maybe you'll learn something new in the process. But if you don't know anything about it, I'm glad you're here today. Because I want to tell you the story of the children of Adam and Eve and how one displayed faith and one didn't. So let's begin. First thing I want to point out is that Abel's faith offered a more excellent sacrifice. A more excellent sacrifice. Once again, in in Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Now, I want you to be careful that there's an easy mode for us to break into comparison here. Why was one better than the other? And we'll get there in just a moment. But I just want to point out that there was a sacrifice offered, and it was significant. Now, jump with me to Genesis chapter 11, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. And this takes us back to the book of Genesis where the story of Cain and Abel is told. It says that Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. That's a significant phrase there, with the help of the Lord. And we'll explain in just a moment why she would say that. Verse 2, later she gave birth to her brother Abel, to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. So, Eve has a child, and it's a boy, and she proclaims that with the help of the Lord, I've produced this child. You have to remember, in the Garden of Eden, they hadn't had children, and they had lived together, and they had all the animals, and they were doing what God asked them to do to keep the garden and to protect it and to do all the things that they had done, and then they were deceived, and they thought that God was withholding from them. You see, remember, faith is based on the fact that God is good and he can be trusted, and Adam and Eve were deceived into believing that God was withholding something from them, that he was threatened by them, that if they ate of the fruit of the garden, they would be like God. That was, that was the lie that the serpent gave them. And so they ate of the fruit and realized immediately in their shame that they had destroyed this trust relationship with God because he had not withhold anything from them but pain. And they had brought pain on themselves in their rebellion. And he, God even explained that you'll, you'll give birth to children and it'll be painful. And through this whole process, when her first son is born, she cries out and says that God allowed me, God helped me, God produced this child for me. She realizes that on the other side of her sin, God still blessed her. And then she had more children. But she had two sons, minimally, named Cain and Abel. And God had told her in Genesis 3.15 when he had come and confronted them in their sin and shame. God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He was speaking to the serpent. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He says to the serpent, I'm going to bring a child from this woman and he is going to destroy you. And you are going to harm him, but he will destroy you. And he will set right everything that's been broken. And he will restore everything that's been lost. And there was a promise given in the garden, even in the moment of their worst choices, a promise of God that said, I am good, and you can trust me. And what's interesting, though, is in that particular passage, 
The word offspring is translated by most rabbis as the word seed. He said, from, he said to this, the serpent, from your children I will produce from her seed, which is really an interesting word because I'm not a doctor and I don't play one on TV, but women don't have seeds. Men do. Women have eggs. It's kind of interesting that God got his biology mixed up, didn't it? You know, God forgot what he created? Absolutely not. If you think back on it, this is also a foreshadowing of a promise, that it wouldn't be from the seed of man that this child that would set everything right would come from. It would be the seed given to woman by God through the Holy Spirit. He's foreshadowing Jesus. And he says that I, it won't come from Adam. It'll come from you, Eve. And I will place a seed in the woman, and the woman will produce a child who will set everything right. And the serpent will harm him, but he will crush the serpent. That's a promise for all of us. In the midst of that, you see, in Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. Well, that's kind of interesting because in verse 2 of chapter 4, it says that Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. Two brothers, two distinct occupations in fulfillment of Genesis 2.15, that there would be things for them to do. They would till the earth and they would keep it. They would keep the things of the garden. So one was a farmer and one was a rancher. And we look at that, and I, I know this is going to appear really snarky, but I want to point out to you that there's a plan of this. This doesn't sound like two apes that came from some pond scum, right? These weren't just Neanderthals who walked around killing things and eating them. They were farmers and they were ranchers and they had skills and they had ability and they had intellect. God didn't create us and evolve us from, from a slug into a human. He created us as humans with gifts and abilities and desires. And these two sons were different. Not just different morality, they were different in their respective fields. And God gave them gifts, skills, and knowledge. Verse 3, 4, and 5. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Verse 5. But on Cain and his offering, God did not look with favor. So we have the moment. Sacrifice. Where did they get the idea of sacrifices? I, I can't answer that question. Most scholarship debates, and there's not much of an argument, but there's not a great agreement on it either, that maybe Adam taught them how to sacrifice. Because you remember, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they were instantly, na or they were naked actually, but they realized they were naked, and they were ashamed of their nakedness, and so they hid themselves in the bushes, and they took leaves, and they covered themselves. They, and they were embarrassed, and it said, and God came to them, and seeing them naked, he took animals that he had created, and he sacrificed those animals and he used the skins of those animals to give them clothing. Maybe that was the model by which man decided to sacrifice. Maybe Adam told his sons the story of how God gave something that was good to, to them as a gift. Or maybe God required sacrifices of them. All we know is that Abel and Cain were sacrificing. They went to a certain place at a certain time and they offered something to God that he had requested of them. And we'll know that because God approved or disapproved of their sacrifices. But we have this moment in time where they offer a sacrifice. And what is a sacrifice? It can be quid pro quo. All right, a good Latin term that means if I do this for you, then you'll do this for me, right? And I want to be real clear that the sacrifices God requests of us are not quid pro quo. If we give to God so he'll give back to us, we've missed the whole chain reaction. We should give to God because he's already given to us. 
He's allowed us to live on his earth. He's given us life and breath. He's provided us with everything we need. God doesn't owe us another thing. We sacrifice to God as an acknowledgement. Here's how it worked. I've used this illustration previously. It's the only one I got, so you've got to hear it again. I believe sacrifices work this way in the Bible. I'm going to give God something of great value to me to demonstrate to him that I trust him. That if I took the best bull, if I was a rancher, and I took the best bull I had, and I kept this bull, this bull could sire an entire herd of amazing animals. But I'm going to go ahead and do what God's asked me to do, to trust him enough to give him my very best thing, knowing that he won't leave me hanging, empty, or void. That he is going to continue to take care of me. It's an acknowledgement that I don't need the control and protection of this thing. I'm going to give it to God to be reminded how God gives to me. It's the reason we fast. We fast biblically so that we can remember where our food comes from and appreciate what he's done for us. Instead of simply saying, no, I have to be fed that lie of three meals a day. It's such an American concept. I've got to have three meals a day or he doesn't care for me. No, you can actually go four or five days without eating and you'll find out that you don't miss food as much as you did when you were eating three times a day. Why? Because we're acknowledging to God, I know you'll provide for me. I know your ways are better than mine. That's the sacrifice. It's establishing, well, the Bible says, by faith. I'd say it's establishing trust. I am going to give my best and not have any benefit from it at all. I'm going to lose my control of it. And I'm going to enter into my fear that if I give this up, I'll never have it again. But I know my God is what? He's good and his promises are all kept. God will never abandon me or leave me empty or punish me for being obedient. That's what a sacrifice is. So Cain and Abel brought sacrifices to God, which is the second point of the day. Somehow, the sacrifice that Abel brought was excellent. But secondly, Abel's faith secured the approval of God. Abel's faith, now I want you to notice, you may think the first point is the second point. No, it's not, because if I would have written Abel's sacrifice secured the approval of God, I would have taken the scripture out of context. What I'm trying to point out to you, it was the faith that Abel sacrificed with that brought God's approval, not the sacrifice. Verse 4. Abel brought the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. And verse 5 says, he looked on Cain and he did not approve. So people have wondered. There's a lot written on it. It's fascinating reading. Why did God accept Cain's, or not accept Cain's, and accept Abel's? What did Cain do that was wrong, and Abel did that was right? And that's how we diagram this thing, and we look at it, and we say, okay, how it was. Now, there's a lot of scholarship on it. It says, well... Abel offered God something that had blood, so it was about the blood sacrifice. I'm not so sure at this point in the history of God's plan for mankind that that was necessary. So I can kind of put that to the side and say, it's a reasonable argument, but I don't think it's effective. I have my own theory, excuse me. I believe that the reason Cain's offering as a farmer was not approved and Abel's as a rancher was because I think Cain gave God peas. I do. I I think that's what he offered God, and I think it's biblical that God doesn't like peas, and they should have nothing to do with anything. I think that's that's my theory. Uh, It's I've not written it up, so I don't know if anybody else agrees with me, but I'm I'm leaning that way. Now, here's what I really think: the word "some" in the Hebrew. It says that Cain gave some 
of what he had planted and harvested. And Abel had given some of the firstborn of the best of his flock. And therein lies the difference. One gave what he could afford to give, and the other gave what he could not afford to lose. Now, I want to pause right here because there's a part of me that wants to be in a real relationship with you and not a stage seat relationship. So I want to say this to all of you. If you think right now that I'm going after your wallet, if you think this sermon's going to turn into how much money you sacrifice, you've misunderstood my heart altogether. God doesn't want your wallet. He wants what is wrapped around the wallet, your heart. It's not about how much money we give today. Because for some of you, writing a check could be the easiest, most unfaithful thing you could do. It wouldn't require you any trust. You've got it in the bank. You could afford to get rid of it because you've got others elsewhere. And for some of us, the greatest sacrifice could be our time, our family, or actually agreeing to walk the path that God's called us to walk. So we're not talking about money today. We're talking about sacrifice. And a sacrifice that comes by faith is not what can I afford to give God, but what has God asked of me, and do I trust that he is good and that he keeps his promises? That's what we mean today when we talk about the sacrifice. It wasn't what Abel sacrificed. It's how he sacrificed it by faith. He gave of his herd, the best of his herd, the firstborn. He, he modeled this plan of not giving God the excess, but giving God the heart giving God the soul, giving God the purposes by which we all exist. And that's why his sacrifice was approved. Because God knew it mattered what he gave. And to Abel, or to Cain, it simply said he gave some of his harvest. God deserves more than some. God deserves all. And one gave by faith, and one gave by affordability. And it was just a different thing in the eyes of God. You see, the only thing that makes Abel more righteous than Cain is that Abel took the opportunity he was given by God to honor God. And Cain took the opportunity given to him by God to honor himself. And that's what we truly know about these two young men and what their reaction is. But to tell the story of Abel, I have to truthfully tell you the story of Cain. And so let's walk through what Cain does in the remainder of Genesis chapter 4 and show you how not to live by faith. First of all, Cain's reaction is very telling and revealing. He struck out in anger at the rejection of his choice. It says in verse 5, Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Somehow Cain knew that what he'd offered God was not approved. It was not acceptable to God. It did not come by faith. It came by control and fear. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, and you must master it. I want to pause here because this is the theology this morning. I told you the narrative, but let's get into the theology. This is the difference that faith makes, is where we want to land and really play in today. I want you to notice in What I've told you already, it found in Genesis chapter 3, in Adam and Eve in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned, I want you to notice what God did. God came to them. Now, I don't know how that fits in your understanding of God. But for many of us, we think that the moment we sin, the moment we do something that God has disapproved of and told us he does not want for us, that God sits up on his high throne, he gathers his angels, and he says to everybody, what a loser, what a failure, look at her, 
How can she do that over and over? She doesn't care. Look at him. He has no effort. He has no faith. He's worthless. I'm wasting my time on him. But that's not what the Bible says. When Adam and Eve sinned and hid themselves, who came to find them? Church? God did. And when Cain struck against his brother in anger, who came to find him? God did. I want you to know you have a God who is coming after you even when you're running away from him. When you reject him, this is not poetic. I don't mean this to be warm and fuzzy, a little hallmark moment. I want this to understand this. God will not let you live in rebellion that he does not come and ask you, why are you doing what you're doing? It's called conviction. God does not deal with shame, but he does deal with conviction. And he comes, and he talks to them, and he, and he says to them, listen, I love this moment of grace. You can stop this, Cain. Why are you so angry? Why are you so upset? You knew what I asked of you, and you did not give me. You were disobedient, meaning that Cain knew that what he offered God was what he could afford to offer God and not what he should have offered God. And he says, you can turn. There's a moment of mercy and grace here. You can stop your disobedience. Sin is at the door, and it's waiting to attack. And then what does Cain do? He distanced himself from God, verse 8. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out into the field, and while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Notice where Cain takes him. He takes him into his fields. Remember, he's the farmer. Abel's the rancher. So he asked him to go out in his field. He knows exactly what he's going to do when he gets out there. He's going to destroy his brother, and he's going to bury him in the field where only he knows where he is. Verse 13, God comes and confronts him, and Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Cain is complaining about the one thing God warned him about. When you tell me no, you're distancing yourself from me. And Cain turns and throws it all back on God and says, The punishment you've given me, and we'll talk about their confrontation in a moment. But he says, The punishment you're placing on me for killing my brother is greater than I deserve. You're causing me to be away from you. Verse 16. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. The land of Nod. The word Nod means wandering. It means aimless pursuit. Instead of Cain repenting and living in community with God, he rebelled against God and found greater separation rather than redemption. He rejected the grace offered him because he could not give God his faith. He, could, he did not believe that God was good and God could be trusted. I like what the Apostle John writes about this. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, he tells the early church, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. You see, there's, a, there's two dangers in comparing yourself to other people. Uh, the first danger is when you compare yourself to other people, you diminish yourself and you say, well, this person's more gifted and more talented and, and they try harder and they're better than me, I'm worthless. And the other is just the opposite. It's to compare yourself to somebody so you feel better about yourself than you know you are. And Cain turned and used all of this and he compared himself to his brother. And when he realized his brother had lived by faith and he hadn't, Cain couldn't change his life. Instead, he had to kill his brother. As if... Taking Abel's life would make Cain more appealing to God. But his pursuit wasn't about God. His pursuit was to wander in a land called Nod, the land of wandering, 
to the east of Eden. John Steinbeck wrote one of his classic novels with the title of that, East of Eden. and talked about those that are pursuing their own way, the, the world's economy, the world's way. I'm going to do it my way. I don't need God. There is no God to find out you're in a desperate pursuit of only protecting your life and only staying alive and surviving as much as you can. In Romans chapter 10, Paul would say it this way. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Cain had an opportunity to turn to God, repent of his sins, and accept by faith the work of God, but he chose not to. He chose his own righteousness and then blamed God when it didn't work. And I just want to have a conversation with our church. How many of you are like me, walk in the path of Cain? I know what the Lord wants from me. I, I know he, he's given me opportunity. He's laid it on my heart. There's been a conviction in my spirit. I know what the next step of my faith walk is, and I should worship God by offering him it, but I want to control it. I want it under my control. I want to make sure that I get to say how it's used. I, I want to I make sure everybody understands when I give it what a big deal it is. I, I have fear that if I give it to him and he never gives it back, what will I do? How will I survive? Who will take care of me? the way of Cain. It's to say that my God is good to everybody else. And my God keeps his word most of the time. Instead of saying, no, I know who God is. And I see it in the work of Jesus Christ. And it's through the righteousness of Christ. By faith, I accept that. And so by faith, I live in such a way that I give God what he asks of me because he deserves it. And I want him to have it. The third and final point this morning from Abel's story is that Abel's faith speaks today. Verse 9, when God comes to Cain and says, what did you do? He says, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Liar. You know exactly where your brother is. You know exactly why you did what you did. And yes, you are your brother's keeper. And therein lies the problem. Cain wanted to control everything for himself instead of trusting the Lord. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Abel's blood speaks that even though Abel died for having done nothing wrong, he died at the hands of his murdering brother. His blood still speaks and God still hears. It reminds me of the passage in Revelation where it says the martyrs who have died for the kingdom of heaven are under the, th the throne of God and they're crying out day and night to God, how much longer will you wait to avenge our death? And God hears their voice and says, I will, trust me. I will keep my word. I will honor those who have honored me. I will honor those who have sacrificed for me. I will honor those who by faith trusted that even in the worst moment of their life, God is good and he keeps his word. I'd like to conclude by reading Hebrews 11.4 one more time with you. Now that you know the story, listen to the impact. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. It was by faith. And by faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings, by faith. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he's dead, that God can be trusted, that God cares, that there is nothing we offer him that he does not hold to 
So Abel's story still speaks today. What's it saying? I see it saying three things. We give God what he asks for because he's creator and provider of all. And our sacrifice proves our trust. Sometimes God will ask you for things that are hard. But it's not hard to give them to God. It's hard to get rid of them out of our own control. Second thing. Even after sin, even after we sin, God comes to us with an offer of grace and an opportunity to repent and restore by faith what he's asked of us. And lastly, the only thing that made Abel righteous was that he trusted God by faith and obeyed. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't sinless. He chose to be obedient by faith, and we still speak of him today. In just a few moments, I'm going to come back, and we're going to put hands and feet to this in our everyday life. But right now, what I'd love for you to do, if you would, is stand and join us together as we sing about faith and entrust ourselves to God. So, this thing of sacrifice, it's the first step of faith. If we can't give to God what he's asked of us, then we are struggling with control of who's really our God, our own will, or the one we know is good and keeps his promises. And in a room like this, there's a myriad of things that God could be saying to every single one of us, but we pray that he's talking through his word. It says his word never goes out and comes back empty or void. It's, it's making a dent. It's bringing conviction. It's bringing promise. But you can see that God comes to us with expectations. That there's, there's no reason the God of all creation can't ask from every one of us something. He's not overbearing and he's not hard. He's, he's, he's compassionate and he pursues us. For some of us in this room today, the first step that God may be asking you is you sacrifice your will and place yourself into the Lordship of Jesus. You've never made this profession of faith. You've never acknowledged that you want to become a follower of Jesus, not just someone who uses him. And if you want to know what it means to become a follower of Jesus, I would just ask that we're done this morning, that you just come out to the prayer area. I'll be out there, some of our elders, some of our staff, and we'd be happy to answer any questions you have. We're not going to twist your arm. That's not what we're here for. We're here to show you that this life of faith is worth living and, and to be with you as you learn to walk it. But for others of us, God is laying something on us that he's going to ask us to sacrifice. It may be something to do with our career or our family. It may have something to do with our fortune or our future. I don't know what it is. And particularly, all I want to know is that we have a God who's come to us in this moment and he spoke into our hearts and he said, here's what I desire of you. Don't give me what you can afford to give me and keep control. Give me what I ask of you. And that's going to be a big step of faith. It's scary to give up control, but it's not when you know who you give it to. When you make a sacrifice to the goodness of God and his faithfulness, he will be faithful. Don't be threatened by his request. Understand that he asks it from you so that he can bring himself to you more fully. Please pray with me. God, we pray in this moment that you will speak through your spirit to our minds and our hearts. God, we're going to spend a moment in just silence asking that you give us a picture in our eyes and our mind and our heart about what it is, which is our next step of this faith, how we worship you through sacrifice. 
God, speak as we listen. God, we desire to bring to you what you ask. We need your strength. We need your presence. We need your hope. We're beginning to know who you are. And as you reveal yourself, may we be obedient to respond. May we offer you by faith our lives, each and every area, that you can do your work, show us who you are, and prepare us for much greater things. God, we give you ourselves as we give you our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.